my name is James Pikeaway, and welcome to Public Speaking in the Summer, Day 11. What do we look at today? Now, we're still talking about persuasive public speaking, but we're also concentrating on the order and organization of the information that we're putting forward. Is there a better way to do it? Maybe. We took a look at at least two TED presentations with our focus being on what makes for great visuals and, again, the organization of the ideas. All of that and more in day 11 of Public Speaking in the Summer with me, James Pikeway. Here we go. Let's get started. I think it's, it's all about following that, that, that pretty clear formula. Solid introduction, transitions, 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 transitions. Those become the key thing in where you're going in these last two speeches. Is it, if, is it easy for your audience? All three of you, are you listening? Is it easy for your audience to understand and follow you as you're going from point to point? If your audience has to try and figure out at any time, how does this connect and how does that connect, then you're not doing the job. So on top of your vocal variety, on top of emphasis, on top of having that great introduction, on top of having your clear, distinct parts, make sure that you're you're connecting it. Make sure that your audience your fellow classmates can follow the discussion and where it's going. You do not want to assume assumptions are awful. You do not want to assume that they're going to figure it out because they've got so much on their mind. Remember you're encoding it, putting the ideas together and your audience is decoding it. Make it crystal clear and easy for them to decode the rest of it. Is that middle part, right? And that's all of your information, all of your stories, all of your ideas, all of your examples that you're building on so that your audience has an idea where it's all going. And that's, that's, that's the game, right? It's, it's, it's playing with all these things we've been doing. It's, it's what going back and watching Jamie Oliver. It's going back and watching Ron Gutman and saying, okay, that's the way I want to use visuals. Okay. That's the way he does it okay. Let me use some of that expressiveness. So when you're watching a Jamie Oliver speech, yeah, he's angry, but what, what is he? He's expressive. So how can you channel some of that expressiveness into your presentation? And that's the show, right? And that's, that's a big piece of, of presenting to anybody, to anyone, to anywhere in any context is how are you getting your audience to link in, to buy in, to look and listen to what you're saying and give you those four minutes of their lives and to, to have them genuinely want to engage in the activity. And that's where we're at. And so, I, and you're there, ladies, you're all there. It is, it is really a time in exercise and, and trusting yourself and saying, okay, is it there? And it's not like, oh yeah, well, this is the way I've always done it. And I've just kind of tweaked it a little bit and I'm really happy with this and it'll work. And I'm just going to get out there and I'm going to do it. And hello, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about how to make it. No, 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 that's not what you're trying to do, right? So you, you need to, 
take on board what we've been talking about. How do you present like you? How do you give your talking with not that presentation voice and packaging it all together? And, and what ultimately becomes the, the challenge there, what ultimately becomes the thing that you're, you're doing is practicing it and saying, okay, if I got it, oh, I, I, I need to just tweak it a little bit more. I've, I've been listening to myself. I need to tweak it just a little bit more. And it, it's all about those little things. And it's that little, is it, it good enough? Oh, this is good enough. That's not good enough. This is good enough. Mm, no, no, you, you, you can't be satisfied with this is good enough. That is not, that is not where you want to be because this is good enough is an exceptional. This is good enough is, yeah, I don't really care. It'll, you know, I'm, I'm going to get by. I'm going to pass. You want to be exceptional. And remember all of these skills that we're working on right now, everything you're doing you take with you and you use in your other courses. You use when you go to a job interview. You use when you're on the workplace. You use in an internship. You use when you're connecting with family and friends and you're talking about something. All of these skills you use over and over. So it's 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 not in in some ways it's it's probably one of the most important courses you're ever going to take. I know mean, you're going, oh, come on. I mean, I'm a psych major or I'm, a, I'm an MPS major and I'm an ISC major. I'm a comm major. Everything you do involves your ability to convince an audience, professors, students, conference attendees, that you have the skills and that you have the ability to communicate ideas. It doesn't matter what major you're in. If you can't communicate ideas, you're not going to get the job. You are not going to get support. You're not going to sell your product. You're not going to sell your idea. It's all about communication of ideas. That is what our families and our workplaces and our nations are built on. So I'm really excited. I'm excited with with the progress that you've all made. And I'm excited about the next two talks. So we got a, the talk on Thursday is a 20 percenter, which is which is kind of nice. Remember also with those quizzes, the, they, they, there's there's three more and they they're they're a cumulative things. So the fewer there are, the mark then becomes based out of less. So the more that are in when we get up to all eight, the mark from that eight becomes much smaller, if that makes sense. So all eight of those quizzes are worth 10 percent. So if we've only done you know, five, 10% of five is, is pretty high. So every time a grade is added, your overall grade gets recalculated and it's doing, it's, it, it's doing that automatically. So, uh, there we go. Yeah. And, and I, I think you're all doing well. Today's quiz will be at the end of the class. You'll have a, a, a good amount of time to do it. Remember today's quizzes, uh, there are two questions. They're written questions. They're short answers asking you to describe and explain, explain the application of things. So read the question carefully, think carefully, and be specific. Be specific in your explanations because that will be important. And uh, there we go. Any questions from anyone? Any questions from anybody at this point? Hello, Ur. Hello, Fatma. Hello, Hand. Hello, Bakita. Hello, Asma. Aisha. I've both been here for a while. Any questions from anyone? Anything on your minds? Hey, did you see in the news? Looks like September. We're heading back to campus. Could be interesting. So that's kind of kind of nice. Maha, nice to see you. 
So that's uh, that, that's big news that we we could be heading back to campus in September. So uh, yeah, very very interesting, and uh, I think that and and who knows what that model will be like, but not bad. And I I think it'll uh, it'll be nice to be able to see our friends and and colleagues and and see where things go, see what the new the new normal is for education. So I'm I'm excited. I'm also excited, as I said, about the next two speeches and your work and your progress and etc. Any questions? By the way, we're at the start of class. Any questions? Anything? Nothing. You see, this is this is my thing, right, ladies. In your regular course of studies, even here, why do you want to ask questions in class? Why do you always want to ask questions? Anybody? I'm going to pick on somebody to give me a a, a guess. Just guess. Why do we always want to ask questions in class? Rauda, why do we always want to ask questions in class? Right. Say that again. Hold on. I'm going to turn you up. I can't hear you. Why do do we... To make things right? Um, th- that's a good reason, yes, but not in the context of what we're doing. No, but that's but you know what? That is a really good. That is a good reason. That is so to to understand things to make things right. Yeah, that's a good reason. But that's in in the context of our class. I kind of set you up there, but that was good. Who's got another guess? Hend. Why do you want to ask questions? Not just in this class, any class. When someone says, "Do you have a question?" Why do you want to be the first person to put up your hand or or get in on it? Okay. Um, it's better to ask questions and then wait for people to ask it. That that is I a mean, that's a good reason. One of, the, one of the reasons why I don't ask questions is because I don't want to seem stupid, so I don't yes. ask questions. Yeah, yeah, I I but hear what you're saying. I end up being stupid because I didn't ask. <laughs> I love the emotion there. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you for a second. Hand. What was the first thing you said when you started talking just now? What did I say? Um, don't do it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're, you're right. And that's, that's a reason why, much like public speaking, right, why people don't like to public speak, because they don't want to sound stupid. Everyone's afraid, oh, I'm going to sound stupid. Remember, nobody, nobody wants to speak for fear of that, and we create that fear, but that's not why. Why? why that, but that's a great reason. Why do you want to ask questions in every class? Because we might have a question like everyone else. That's a great one. Inevitably, if you have a question, there are five other people who've got the exact same question and they're too scared to ask it. So people always have that question. But that's not why you want to be asking questions in class. It's a really simple reason. Really simple reason. Um, I think. Today- oh, what did you do at the start? What did you do? Okay, I'm sorry, Professor. No ums. Don't do it. Ladies, get rid of them from your vocabulary. That is, remember, you're going to start an um jar in your house. Every time you do an um, you throw a Durham into that. And then you give it to charity at the end of the week or the end of the month. But keep going. Why? Why don't we do it? Why do, why, why do you want to ask questions? To know more. That's good. To know, get more information. Mm-hmm. To know the exact thing that my professor wants me to do. Yes, that is a great answer, but not the one I'm looking for. Why do you need to ask questions in every class? Uh, sir, <gasps> I what did that. you just do? Uh, don't do it. Don't do it. 
<laughs> Why do you have to ask questions? Sorry. It's okay. Don't don't worry. You will, I'm just, I, the reason I'm pointing that out, ladies, is because it is that little thing that if you just don't do any ums, ahs, etc. when you're talking ever, you sound better than everybody else. No matter how bad the content is, no matter how uncertain you are of what you're going to say, if you don't do an um or an ah, especially just when you start, people think you're totally confident and you know exactly what you're talking about and you outshine everybody else. And it's, it's a crazy thing, but it happens. Anyway, that's why I'm just, I'm, I'm picking on that. Okay, I believe that uh, we have to ask uh, questions because uh, uh, we have to we have to to be sure of what we will present and avoid making the mistakes. You're so you're 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 on it. You you might actually have the answer there. I I think what you're saying and what I'm expecting are pretty close. And the reality is why you want to constantly ask questions is, yes, you want to get that information sorted out, but B, you want to get as much practice of talking in front of a group in formulating your ideas so they're easy for a teacher or another student to understand so that they're succinct so that they're it's tight instead of as some people say well I've got a question I want to know what this and then they talk and talk and talk and they ask the question and then they ask more question you don't want to be that person so you want to be you want to be used to asking that question being a little bit nervous being able to get your idea out i encourage you in every class not just mine and in, in fact in, in every class you're in write your question down that you've got for the professor not that you're going to read it but you have a little practice and you might say can you further explain how x and y relate or whatever that question will be but always have a question because when you ask it especially when we're back in september or if you're in a business meeting, or if you're at an internship meeting, or, 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 whenever you ask that question, everyone looks at you. The whole, the whole place goes, and you are now the center of attention. So you want to ask questions so you get used to having everyone look at you, have everyone judge you. And remember, everyone is judging you. You go, oh, I had that exact same question. I'm so glad she asked it. So you're doing everyone a favor and... Ultimately, you're getting the answer. And what I really think is the important part in context of this class is you get to practice the art of public speaking and being nervous and not putting in the us and the as. I haven't done any yet. I'm working it hard though. Aisha, Bakita, Rauda, Ur, Hend, Fatma, Maha, Aya, Watia, Miriam, and Shama. I'm working very hard thinking about what I'm saying, slowing down what I'm saying so I don't put it in. It's hard. You've got to work it. Uh, how's everything going, ladies, by the way? How are you all doing today? Welcome to day 11. Day 11, two speeches left. This week, next week, we're done for the summer. And uh, as I said, your, 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 your stuff is looking great. I'm really, really impressed with everything I, I, I've been seeing and reading. That last quiz, I threw you quite a curveball. And some of you flourished. Some of you didn't do as well as you wanted. In the multiple pick answers, and, and you should be able to go back and look at all the answers because I enable them once they're all marked. 
So once I've marked it and, and filled in those answers, you should be able to go back. So you can go back. There was a trick in, in the multiple pick things because it was using PowerPoint. And so he did use graphs. He did use examples. He did use video. He did use PowerPoint. So it, it was, that was kind of a tricky one. But a second answer was asking you to describe and explain how something in particular was being done, his demonstration. And so it was really important that you talked about the demonstration and talked about the fact that here he was talking about how much sugar kids consume from flavored milk in a year. And so what did he do? He rolls out the wheelbarrow. He takes a glass. He throws it on the ground. He takes, you know, here you go. Here's a week. Or I think it was a day. Here's a week. Here's a month. And then he pours the wheelbarrow out, slides it over, and then he puts his hands in it. He picks the sugar up, and all the sugar dust is going around. This is Jamie Oliver video, quiz from last class. And he says, this is a year. And it suddenly is like, wow, that. And he says, that's just from milk. What about all the other things we're eating? And remember his big, big complaint was, yeah, we're eating low fat. Yeah, we're doing this, but we're eating finger foods and we're eating things that are processed and we're eating things that are full of sugar. They're full of sugar. The sugar is the not good part. So yes, we're getting low fat, but, and, and true, I mean, go and look at low fat foods, low fat, no fat is, yeah, but now look at what's in them. Sugar is the number one thing. So if you go to the ingredients of any foods, the order they're listed in is which is, which is the most of what in the food. So my, my rule of thumb is two things. One, if there's sugar, so excess sugar, why am I eating it? Two, if I can't pronounce the things that are in there, why am I eating it? <laughs> so I get very nervous about some of these chemicals that are in the foods that we're eating and why are they in the foods that we're eating and what does it do? So anyway, so that was the, the, the key is to be very specific about things and to think about, okay, well, what does it do? How does it do it? Why does it do it? And that becomes, becomes rather, uh, rather important. So there's a quiz today. I'm going to give it to you near the end of the class. You're going to have lots of time to do it. It's a, it, 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 it's, it, it, I think it takes about 10, maybe 15 minutes to do. So I'll give you probably about half an hour to do it. So we'll, we'll do it right at the end of the class and then I'll stick around. So if people have questions, et cetera. Uh, it's it's a, a short answer one. Again, I sent you some material. I said make sure you look at you've you've reviewed you've taken a look at those videos and thought about them again. And ultimately, what we were talking about last class. So that's that's where we're kind of going. Uh, what else? Oh, I, I, something else that's kind of kind of weird and kind of important. And I, I don't think have I have I taught any of you in any other courses before? Have I taught anyone before? I teach like media ethics and law. I teach intercultural, interpersonal. I teach uh, COM 200. I haven't taught that in a while. It's kind of a fun course. No. So here's, here's something you want to know about me, and this might inform your, your speeches, is I'm very much a fan of the epic fail. So what does that mean? Does anyone know what that means to be a fan of the epic fail? Does anyone know what that means? to be a fan of the epic fail. Anyone want to jump in? What does that mean? What he is going, I have no idea. Anyone want to guess? I'm going to I'm going to pick someone out here. Great fail. Yeah, it does that's what that's exactly what an epic fail is. So what does it mean to be the fan? How would that apply to things we do at school? Um, Fatma, do you have any idea? What does what does being a fan of the epic fail mean? And how might it apply to what we do in this class? 
Great fail. Yeah, it is. It is a great thing. Fatma, do you have any idea? What do you think? Guess. Yes. And ultimately, all I'm trying to do is get us talking, right? I'm trying to get us using our voices to express things. Oh, no, I don't enjoy watching people fail. No, no. Maha, not at all. I hate watching people fail. Fail is, I I hate doing it myself. No. So it's not about enjoying watching people fail. That's not it at all. Oh, it's learning from people's mistakes. Mm, I... No, but I do love learning from people's mistakes, especially my own mistakes. When I make my own mistakes, I, yeah, those are good. But sort of, but no. It's 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 think in terms of how you do your speeches, and think in terms of what we've been talking about from class one, and success in presenting. In any context, whether it's a small stage or a big stage. And, and, and remember, I always think of what we're doing as a show. And if you, if you listen to the podcast that I put together where I edit out everything and just keep the little bit, it starts off, sounds like a show. Like, and it's just an, a summary of the class. So what does it mean to be a fan of the epic fail is what this class is all about is getting out of our comfort zone and getting away from the way Everybody has always done our presentations, how we've, we've stood up and, and spoken, how we've demonstrated things, how we've put together our audio and visual for what we're doing, how we've prepared our handouts and what they might look like. And, and I, I often find that really, really interesting. Okay, for handouts, for example, you, it's, it's, it's funny because we do a term paper and, I, and I, I sometimes, often what I'll do is if I'm doing a term paper, I'll hand in two versions. The first version is the version that the professor asks for. And that is, you know, the 12 point times new Roman font with the one centimeter borders with the cover page, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Quite boring, quite frankly. They, it looks awful. No one's going to read it. You know the deal. And then what I do is I prepare a second version, all the same content, but I make it look like something someone would actually want to look at. So I might have sections of it that are a little bit bold. I might have a couple images in it. I'm, I might change the, the, the page size. But I, I take the same content and I reformat it for better consumption. Sometimes that works really well. Sometimes it doesn't work well. Like it's set out to work well and it should work well. And it has the potential to work well, but it doesn't work. And that's what I call the epic fail. You set out to do something and you worked it and you've put all the pieces together and it, it, it's going to be magnificent. It's going to be the absolute best presentation you've ever done in your life. All the parts are there. All the things are there. It's all there. But something just doesn't work. And you finish it and you kind of go, oh, man, you know, it's all the times I practiced it and all the times I did it. I really went out on a limb. I'm not talking about just our normal talks, but you've you've tried something totally different and it didn't work. That's what I call the epic fail. In some cases, taking that leap is to me a really big learning experience and you've applied everything you've learned 
and you've put it there and it's clear, like it's there, you, you know, you've got all the things there and then you've done whatever it is that you're, you're in your mind and in your practice is going to make this the extraordinary speech that everyone is going to talk about for the rest of their lives. And it doesn't do it because of whatever happens or this or that, but there's an, you know, you know, that epic fail and, and what exactly that might be depends on the thing, but that to me. And so, so when you're, if you were doing that speech and you did, you know, it's, it's, it's right on four minutes and this and that, but something just did not connect right. And it should have, and it was, you know, those things when you do them, that epic fail as far as I'm concerned, that speech could still be a spectacular speech. Yes, it didn't work the way it was supposed to ultimately. But you really went out on a limb. You really took it to the extreme. You really stretched yourself in the way you did it. And you tried something that was exceptional. And the delivery of it that time didn't happen. And you kind of finish going, oh man, I just failed it. Not necessarily. The epic fail can be a very good learning experience. And so, in those things we know, we see them. And do, do a lot of people do an epic fail? No, almost no one does. But every now and then you're going to try those things. And in, in the context of what, what I'm looking at, I, I, if, if, you know, if you went out on a limb and you did that experiment and how you're going to put this together and the way you're going to make it work, and in the end it didn't quite work, but you really you know, you really have all the pieces and you try it. That epic fail to me is, is, is admirable and doesn't mean that you would fail. So I'm, I'm a big fan of epic fails. I'm a big fan of people pushing the envelope of their ability to present content. So just wanted to put that out there. Keep, keep working hard. That's the key and trust yourself. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you know, when the work you're doing is a quality you know when, you know what, this is spectacular. This is above and beyond, not just what you're being asked to do, but I've really taken this, the examples, I've really taken the ideas of the course and I'm really putting them into practice and I am really out there. I'm doing it. You know, when you're, when you know, when you're trying to do that and you know, when it's just like, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's really good. You know, when, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's really good. And you know when it's like, this is something that I want everyone at Zion University to watch. I want someone, everyone at Zion University to see. I am so, this is the benchmark. When they say, here's a great speech to do, they're going to look at, they're going to say, you want to do an exceptional speech? There's the example. You know when you're doing that. So that's what you're striving for constantly. And, and I think every one of you, every single one of you who's here could do that speech this time and the next time. And, and really, it's, it's about putting everything into motion. That's, it's all about every class applying and taking what we've done and taking it a step further. So where are we going today? Do, by the way, do we have any more questions? Do we have any more questions at this point? We'll have, to, we'll have, a, chan- chan- we'll have a chance for more questions as we're going. So it's day 11. Very exciting. And what we're going to be looking at today is, is we're, really it's a, it's a further elaboration of what we've been talking about so far. So again, publicspeakingproject.org, 
persuasive speeches. There's a lot of material in here that applies to every speech. And I think that's the beauty of where we're going with this content. So I want to start off with this talk by Laura Trice. And I I like this talk. That's actually about three minutes long. And the thing to keep in mind is what you're doing in a persuasive speech very simply is convincing others to do something. All your a persuasive speech is you're either trying to change the way people think about something or and convince them to ultimately do something. So whether it's change the way they think, actually start doing something different, add a new practice to what they're doing, it's really that important. And if you want to boil it down, you want to convince people to start to do something, whether it be mentally or physically, and you want to give them the step to do it. You want to enable them to start doing it. And if you don't enable them to start doing it right then, right there, immediately, the chance that you're doing a persuasive speech versus an informative speech is pretty slim. So if you can't get people to start doing it, it really what you're looking at and what you're start thinking about is, hold on, am I just am I just doing an informative speech? Am I just giving them a lot of information and hoping that they'll actuate it, hoping that they'll change the way they think, hoping that they'll do something? A persuasive speech is all of that information and okay, now do it. And how do I do it? What do I start doing? And give them that 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 permission. In a sense, you're giving them permission to change their behavior. You're giving them permission to be a nicer person. You're giving them permission, but you've got to say, okay, so I want you to save the environment. This is how you can start today. And then tomorrow you're going to do a little bit more. And then you're going to do a little bit more. And then you're going to do a little bit more. Three different ways to think about what you're doing in your speeches. And I think this is really important. And you want to think about, okay, well, what kind of, what kind of speech am I doing? Is it, am, I, am I dealing with facts? Facts that lead to an outcome? Because if I am, that's great. Because there, there could be multiple ways of thinking of things. So if I'm, if I'm dealing with facts, it's really a question of, here's what we know, here's what we know, this is why you need to do something. And, and facts tend to be a pretty easy one because you can, you can grab science, you can grab things around you, you've got your resources that are very easy to apply to and say, hey, she said it, look, she's an expert, we've got to act on it. So when you start thinking about how am I doing my persuasive speech, is it a proposition of facts? If it is, excellent, keep that in mind. What do I want people to do? How am I organizing and structuring my ideas? And do I have the necessary facts to back me up so that my audience is going to go, why wouldn't I do it? Huh? It's, and, and you're just kind of addressing things. It's also possible that you might be looking at something that has multiple options. So that we're looking at values. So you've got an option to act one way versus another way. And and multiple options to determine what is the best. You could do this, you could do that. Are you still going to have facts in there? Yes, but really what you're looking at is how am I organizing things? And that, that's kind of another interesting way of playing things out. And finally, you might have this, what we call the proposition of policy, which means you're taking a very specific course of action and you're trying to advocate for a very specific way. So 
when you start looking at what you're doing in your talk, you've got three core things that you're, you, of which one of them is typically what you're doing. You're either trying to outline some facts and use facts to say, okay, here's why you need to do something. You might have options for action and you're looking at the multiple options and suggesting why one is better than the other. Or you might have ultimately a course of action that you're saying, this is the way we need to deal with something. So we often call that a proposition of policy. So you've got really three different things that you want to be looking at. Are we talking about facts? Are we talking about values? Or are we talking about a, a course of action that we want to be doing? And what this does ultimately is when you start thinking about facts, values, or action, keeping in mind, don't let the word action confuse you because remember, actions are ultimately what you're seeking. But if you start thinking about, am I basing my argument around facts? Am I basing my argument around one course of action of doing something is better than another way? So you have lots of options on how you do something, which one is the better choice? Or am I basing it around this is the path that we need to follow? In each of these cases, and again, outlined even in more detail in the reading, but in each of these cases, what's the core thing that you're thinking about as you're working on your speech? What do all three of these ideas help you to think about? Because really, all I'm, I'm saying here is as you're looking at your introduction, your body, and your conclusion, what happens as you're encoding ideas for decoding by the receiver, you're the sender, they're the receiver, what you're interested in and what's the thing that we're all listening for as you're talking is what's the flow? What's the link from start to finish? Does the flow make sense so that when I get to the end, I go, obvious, yes, I need to do this and there's no question in your mind why you need to do it. Is it based on facts? Is it based on a question of values? Is it based on an approach to doing something? You need to be thinking about that only so that you can formulate your argument and build your argument so that it has that natural cycle from start to finish so that when you get to the end, your audience is going, why didn't I think about this earlier? Absolutely. Anything you want, I'm going to start doing it. That becomes that important part. So this is, and, and sometimes we actually combine a couple of these things together. So let's go back to the, this part here. Do I, first of all, do I have a question there? Because all we're talking about, all this comes down to at the end of that process is think about how you're organizing your ideas. Do they logically connect A to B to C? Am I using facts? Am I using choice of argument? Am I using a flow of in a sense of policy, why do we have something that works in this way? And this is, this is how we're doing it. You need to be thinking, what's that argument that we're doing? Who's, who, uh, who fired in there? Me, Rhoda. Rhoda, go ahead. Yes, I have a question regarding uh, the sources. Yeah. How many sources do you want? Uh, you, you know, you want to have at least two. You could have 10. What about the presentation? You only wanted uh, pictures, right? And statistics. No, uh, no sentences. 
his words? Uh, you know, you could. You So are you asking, do I want a standard ZU presentation or do I want the presentation that you should do? Uh, no, it's only about the So I don't mind words. I don't mind words, but you need to think. So remember, you're looking at about a 24-point font. So what I don't want is the typical ZU presentation where what everything you're saying is put on the screen. I want you to think in terms of what you're doing with your presentation. What is going to augment what I'm saying? I'm just thinking about presentation full of pictures, so no any words. Hey, that could work. That could work. In fact, we've got I've got a presentation I'm going to show you in a second. So first, we're going to look at at Laura Trice and have a listen to what she says about three minutes. I'm going to show you another presentation that he actually and and so if you go back to uh, Ron Gutman last week, you were here. You saw Ron's thing, right? Yes. He talks about smile. That's a good presentation. So images, stats pictures, words, but not many words. So if you look at that screen, what's the longest sentence he had? I think the longest sentence was eight words. That is excellent. And that is, that is really the goal. The fewer words, the better and not reading the words is ultimate and unless you need to. So there's a time and this is the thing, right? So there's no hard and fast thing, but often people will put something up on the screen and then go and read it. And it's like, okay, are you reading it for effect or are you reading it because that's part of your speech? In which case, that's not a good speech because you could put your content up and say something else and you've got the written part that's now giving you double the thing. Rhoda, did I answer your question or did I just confuse it even more? Uh, you, you did. Thank you. Because I, I think you're on track. And this is the hard thing, right, ladies? And, and remember, this is really important. So with any of your professors... This is do not make the assumption when they say, I want you to do a presentation. You got to, you got to present your research to class. We've all had that every semester standard, you know, out of the box procedure in a class. You're going to work, you're going to do a group or you're going to do your own paper and then you're going to present it to the class. You're going to do a group project and present it to the class. Does the professor give you specific instructions on the presentation or do they just say you're going to do a presentation? If they give you specific instructions on the presentation, then you have to do exactly as they say. If they don't give you specific instructions on the presentation, that means ask the questions about, okay, what exactly do you want in the presentation? And don't, that's not the good question to ask. Ask them, can I do this? Can I, it's, and, and ultimately, like I said, if you have a group that's well rehearsed, if you have images that are focused and you're not giving me your entire paper because who wants to know the entire paper? What, do, what does the professor really, really want to know about your paper? They want to know the results. They want to know the analysis. Give them you know, the introduction stuff a little bit. Give them the history a little bit. Then give them the results and how the results link to all that stuff. Nice stylized images, nice stylized graphs, and a handout they didn't ask for you win because they didn't ask for anything in the presentation. They said, do a presentation. If in doubt, ask questions. But for the most part, you win by giving them that kind of stuff. The, the typical ZU presentation, yeah, you'll do okay. But really, they're boring. So why, why not do them the way that we keep getting shown over and over again using these examples? Unless you're told exactly how to do it. 
All right. Rauda had a great, that was a great question, Rauda. So, so in a sense, here's the, the great thing. Go for the epic fail on your presentation. Let me go. If you, if your guts say, Hey, I want to use images. Don't pixelate the images. That's important. Don't use pixelated images. Those are horrible, which means, you know, those grainy things that you pulled off of YouTube or you pulled off of, of Google or whatever. Don't know pixels. Go and find the stock images, give people credit where they're due, etc. Any other questions at this point? Really fire away if you've got them. Happy, happy, happy to hear questions. All right, you'll jump in if you've got one. Let's, let's jump into Laura Tice. Trice, sorry. I love this talk. I, she does not have any slides. What I love about the talk is the way she... It's, it's a weird one because she does kind of use credibility, and you'll see how... But I love the tone of her voice and I love, this is a persuasive speech and I love what she does with the persuasion. So let's go in and give this one a quick little look. I want to start my class with that every time. Hi, I'm here to talk to you about the importance of praise, admiration, and thank you, and having it be specific and genuine. So the first thing right off the bat is, does she sound like she's talking with us, or is she talking at us? I think she's talking the way she talks. Like, that is just a person talking. She's not not doing a presentation voice. She sounds like her. But there is some vocal variety in there and there's things. Let's keep going. And the way I got interested in this was I noticed in myself when I was growing up and until about a few years ago that I would want to say thank you to someone. I would want to praise them. I'd want to take in their praise of me and I'd just stop it. And I asked myself why. I I felt shy, felt embarrassed. And then my question became, am I the only one who does this? So I decided to investigate. I'm fortunate enough to work in the rehab facility, so I get to see people who are facing life and death with addiction. And sometimes it comes down to something as simple as their core wound is their father died without ever saying he was proud of them. But then they hear from all the family and friends that the father told everybody else that he was proud of him, but he never told the son. It's because he didn't know that his son needed to hear it. So my question is, why don't we ask for the things that we need? Um, I know a gentleman married for 25 years who's longing to hear his wife say, thank you for being the breadwinner so I could stay home with the kids, but won't ask. I know a woman who's good at this. She once a week meets with her husband and says, I would like you to thank me for all these things I did in the house and with the kids. And he goes and he goes, oh, this is great, this is great. And praise really does have to be genuine, but she takes responsibility for that. And a friend of mine, April, who I've had since kindergarten, she thanks her children for doing their chores. And she said, why wouldn't I thank it even though they're supposed to do it? So the question is, why was I blocking it? Why were other people blocking it? Why can I say I'll take my steak medium rare, I need size six shoes, but I won't say, would you praise me this way? And it's because I'm giving you critical data about me. I'm telling you where I'm insecure. I'm telling you where I need your help. And I'm treating you, my inner circle, like you're the enemy. Because what can you do with that data? You could neglect me. You could abuse it or you could actually meet my need. 
And I took my bike into the bike store. I love this um, same bike. And they do something called truing the wheels. The guy said, you know, when you true the wheels, it's going to make the bike so much better. I get the same bike back. Little things here. I know we're going to keep going because it's almost over. That little bit that she does there, that's a little bit of credibility. She's talking about truing the wheel. How do you know the bike store, the guy? And then she kind of talks like him. All vocal variety things. But she's also got, in a sense, that's a resource. She brings it back at the very beginning, arduous, but maybe it works. Arduous being, uh, do I like it? Could it go that she works in a critical rehab center and she works with all these different kind of people and she describes these people? Okay, maybe that works. Think vocal variety, think stories, think that personal connection. The more you can connect with your audience and they see that you're part of the story and you're by example like them, people start to listen more. Let's keep going. There's only a little bit left here. And they've taken all the little warps out of those same wheels. Or you could actually meet my need. And I took my bike into the bike store. I love this um, same bike. And they do something called truing the wheels. The guy said, you know, when you true the wheels, it's going to make the bike so much better. I get the same bike back. And they've taken all the little warps out of those same wheels I've had for two and a half years. And my bike is like new. So I'm going to challenge all of you. I want you to true your wheels. Be honest about the praise that you need to hear. What do you need to hear? Go home to your wife. Go ask her, what does she need? Go home to your husband, what does he need? Go home and ask those questions and then help the people around you. And it's simple. Why, and why should we care about this? We talk about world peace. How can we have world peace with different cultures, different languages? I think it starts household by household under the same roof. So let's make it right in our own backyard. And I wanted to thank all of you in the audience for being great husbands, great mothers, friends, daughters, sons. And maybe somebody's never said that to you, but you've done a really, really good job. And thank you for being here and just showing up and changing the world with your ideas. Thank you. So not that necessarily that is the the be-all and end-all of talks in the world, but there's quite a bit going on there. What did you think of her actuation and that, that whole point of when you're doing a persuasive talk, and she kind of summed it up, hey, we want global peace, we want global change, but if we can't ask for these basic things in our own lives, how can we expect it to happen on a larger scale? I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. And any other observations about that talk? Because there's things I don't like about that talk. <laughs> but I, I like the, and, and again, what, what do I love doing when I watch these talks is saying, okay, can I bring that in? Can I bring that story in? And, and for me, I would look at that one and I'd say, ah, you know what? When I tell a story about something, I need to sort of pivot just a little bit and change my voice just a little bit so that it sounds very a little bit different so that the audience gets a sense that it's not me talking it's someone else talking like when she talked about chewing the wheel on the bicycle and what the the guy said well you know if you chew the wheel it's gonna that's that's pretty cool any observations on things you you liked about that talk that you could see using in your own talk or things that you would say good reminder of something not to do anything there's no bad answer here wants to jump in first who wants to be first up to to give to get and, and don't, don't don't write them in you can but let's let's uh let's actually 
turn on our microphones and, 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 and talk in the class. Anyone have anything that they learned that they wouldn't do based on what she just did? A reminder of something. Yeah. I, you know what? Rauda, Rauda is, is right on there. She talks so fast. Anyone have trouble catching what she was saying? Because she's just going, 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 going. Now, here's the one thing I don't know. And this is, this is important, Rauda. And this is, but this is not giving her a green card on this. Ted videos are, are, are edited. And I don't know how much they edited on the video. And I say this only because I've been to Ted and I've been to talks and then I've watched the talks and I'm going, hold on. They've taken out a whole bunch of the talk and that, that becomes interesting. So yeah, but she does talk too fast. Slow down a little bit. Let people catch up. Use the, I love the pause. I think the dramatic pause is very useful in our, in our talks. And I think when she went from talking about this whole thing about praise and then telling the story and then a little bit more about praise and then telling the story, slowing down and, and breaking up those things would make it easier for me to connect in with them, would make it easier for me to remember what she's saying. Anything else? Anything that you liked? Anything that you kind of went, yeah, you know what? She, she nailed that or don't do it. Don't do it. She doesn't look nervous at all. No, no, she doesn't. But I, I think she is because as she got going, she she definitely stumbled a little bit. I and, and, you know, we didn't see the audience, but there's a whole bunch of people looking at you and they're just staring at you. And I can tell you from speaking at a TED, both at a TEDx and speaking at a, a TED event, it's terrifying. And that the terrifying part is, and don't get me wrong, I, I, when I did my TED thing, it was short. It was only about three minutes long. Practice, 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 practice. But it, it's seeing all these people who are there with an expectation that every talk they're going to get is going to be the best talk they've ever heard. And for me, that was terrifying. So, yeah, but she, you're right. She handled her nerves well. And I think this is, this is another thing, ladies, that you always want to keep in mind. Nobody knows you're nervous unless you tell them. So put on a little bit of, of, of you know, be confident in what you're going to do. Go out there, stand tall, because I know we're doing these things in a Zoom context, but there will become a point, fall semester, where you're going to be standing in front of people. And I promise you, all of you who are here, we will do a couple of master classes at lunchtime. I will do them for you on presenting in person because there's things we're going to need to work on. Taya... That, Taya, you're in, you're in Abu Dhabi, right? That might, that's going to be a challenge, but we'll figure it out. But I, we need to do the master class on presenting in front of people. And it's just a couple lunches. We'll, you know, an hour, an hour and a half, we can sort it out. But yeah, she didn't look too nervous. And I think that's important. People buy into that. They feel comfortable. When you're comfortable, they're comfortable. What else? Anything else? Anything else we liked about that talk? She had a clear thing. What was she advocating? Thank people for doing stuff. Tell people what you need. Hey, I need you to tell me that you're happy with what I'm doing. I need you to tell me when I'm doing a good job. I need you to thank me once in a while. And this is a big one in the workplaces, ladies. That talked to me every time I, I've heard it. And I, I, I mean, I obviously picked it, so I really like it. But it's like, man, how many times have you done something and someone doesn't say thank you? You know, I got the gardener guy who came to my house yesterday and I, you know, I had him doing some stuff 
for me. I wanted him to do something that I didn't need him to do it. I still thanked him. I see him every day when I run my dog. I stop. I say, hey, you're doing a great job there. It looks great. And he says, thanks. It's funny when the gardener says, you know, you know how, how many of you, everyone has a gardener, right? Everyone, everyone or, or knows someone who's got a gardener. And, and have you ever noticed that all the gardeners will say, oh, I'll get my brother to come and, and do it. And you realize that's not their brother. It's their friend. It's their someone from their village. The gardener who, who once in a while will help me if I'm not home. He, he told me this morning, he says, you're my brother, brother. It's uh, you are my brother. I'm going now I'm the gardener's brother. It's like, <laughs> and I thought that is the ultimate compliment from the gardener when he's calling the Western guy, his brother. So it also must mean I'm a really good gardener too. A- anything else that you learned from that talk? Vocal variety, slow down, clear intro, tell us why you're talking about stuff. Stories are king or queen. You need stories. You need examples people can relate to. Actuated. What did she say? In the end, thank people. Start at home thanking your mother, thanking your father, thanking your brother thanking your sister. And I know you might say, but that's their job. Thank them anyway. They didn't have to do the job at all. They could have done a terrible job at it. They did it. Thank you. Thank you for getting this sorted. People love to be praised. They love to be acknowledged. So I thought that was, that was, that was, it was kind of a, kind of an interesting talk. Did I miss anything? Any, anything else you can fit in there? She had some facts. She had really, it's, it was really kind of a policy thing. This is a course of action that's going to make the world better. If we give appreciation at home, we can give appreciation in the larger scheme of things. Okay, I kind of get that. I, I, yeah, okay, maybe. Anything else, ladies? Anything? Anything else you noticed? Anything you want to add? And the, this is the other side of it, right? You, you might have something else. You might say, hey, what about this? Or, you know, I didn't like this. Or I wouldn't want to do that. Or what do you think? Anything? Nothing. Really? Really? All right. Uh, oh, 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 uh, okay. So let's go back here then. And I want to, so we've got two parts to today's class. And that was kind of the first part. The, the second part is obviously more of the same. <laughs> I just, I just like, like breaking things up. And this, this part of what I want you to start thinking about ultimately is really about how you're organizing what you're doing. And this is nothing new, but in the, it's really important as you're outlining stuff and remember I really do suggest that you you get a, a wall and you 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 know you put your sticky notes on and you kind of get your core ideas and you see it and you reorganize it and then start writing it and even when you write out your speech even when you've written it out on that piece of paper it's not it's not cast in stone so when I write mine I'm often crossing stuff out and I'm putting arrows and I'm putting new words in and I'm changing ideas you, you want to really be thinking about how you've organized those ideas. So I've got my clear introduction. Remember, what's the goal of the introduction? A, A, 
first first thing with that introduction, what am I trying to do, ladies? What's what's the no, what's the first part of that that speech? Is the introduction? What do we know about the introduction? One, it's memorized. And I know I I constantly say, don't memorize your speech. Know your speech. The introduction is memorized. The conclusion is memorized. They don't change. Why? What's what's the introduction to the speech doing? There's two things. What's the introduction to your speech going to do for you and your audience? First thing. Second thing. Who's who wants to jump in? There's no no guess is a bad guess here, ladies. They're all good. What is the what are two things that the introduction does? Who's going to take who's going to jump out here? What are you talking about? Okay, so give them a Yeah. So one, it tells them what they're going to talk about, gives them a heads up. And it makes them excited to our to listen. Yeah. To what you're talking. About. You need to grab. Yeah, you need to grab their attention. You need to make them go. Rauda's got something to say, and because because remember, you got people who are looking at their phones. You sit in a class. The worst thing you sit in a class. Everyone's got their computers up, and what are they doing? They're watching YouTube. They're chatting with their friends on WhatsApp. They're, you know, and, and you're kind of going, like, give me a break. You, I mean, I, I don't know about you. We're going we're gonna to stop in just a sec. Is it still, what Tia, is it still robot voicing? I think the key, from my perspective, is too many people, when they do a persuasive speech, are working in this abstract idea that people are going to get it that uh, they'll understand, uh, that they're going to put two and two together. If you want people to do something, tell them what you want them to do. And you say, this is, you know, like, really? And then make the argument around and keep reminding them, this is why we're doing it. So what, what do I want you to do? This. Why? Because of that. And then you move on. And then, so what do I want you to do? This. Why? Because of that and that. And then the end. So what do I want you to do? I want you to do it. And how do you start? This is how. And why? Because of that. What is cyberbullying? How does it happen? And and ultimately the the effects of it. That those that I mean just off the top of my head, not having thought about it too much, that's probably the how I would work it. And I, I would I would hit up newspapers. I'd be Googling El Bayan, I'd be Googling the national, seeing, okay, what are people saying about cyberbullying? And and so I'd be trying to keep it really kind of connected to the UAE because I just think it works better if I can. I like to do my speeches on things if I'm here that are about that. So or, you know, in the region where we can relate to. But I'd, I'd probably be, you know, really breaking it down on because I think sometimes people cyber bully and they don't realize they're cyberbullying. So the comments, the fact and the fact that we don't we we put a lot of interpretation into what we're saying in those few words or that picture so i think letting people know what it is letting people know what the the effects of it are and so so we know what it is so do, do we think about the effects well how about this person who committed suicide because of cyberbullying how about this person who did that you know and and it might be there you know you might want to concentrate on youth you might want to concentrate on university students you might want to concentrate on girls you might because there's lots of different parts of cyberbullying so there's fat shaming and all that kind of stuff that happens with i mean with with girls it's even worse because you have the whole body image thing and 
you know, that it, it's, it can be brutal. Whereas men and, and boys, you know, if, if a boy's fat, yeah, they get shamed, but not to the same extent that a girl would. And, and who cares? I mean, if your body's your body, it's like, you're, you know, it's none of your business. So I, I might do something like that. And then, okay, so what do we do? How do we fix this? Why is it important? So this is what it is. This is how it affects people. Maybe it's, why is this, why do we actually have to care? And then what the final bit is, okay, so what do I want you to do? I want you to call out. Next time you see someone do that, I want you to stand up for them. And maybe you get people to pledge that I will stand up to cyber bullies and when I see them doing it to other people. And I think we've all had someone who cyber bullied someone, maybe intentionally, maybe accidentally, and we've laughed at it and we've this. So I think, yeah, I think that could be a really good talk. Your challenge will be focus. Focus is going to be the challenge, but you can do it. It sounds really good. It's a funny one. I just, as we're talking about this, I got a message from a, a good old friend of mine. And this is, this is, this has got nothing to do with public speaking. This has just got to do with being a nice person. And I'm going to remind you all of this because someday you will come back and you will, you will, you'll share your experience with me. There's a saying in English and, and maybe there's a saying in Arabic. So think about the saying in Arabic for me because I have no idea what it is. The saying is, there's two ways of saying this. The first way is what goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. So what you do is going to come back and influence you later on. Karma, yeah. Yeah, that, it is a sense, karma. What goes around comes around. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is the people you meet going up the ladder of life are the same people you meet going down the ladder of life. So as you go up in your career, the people that you meet and that you interact with are the same people you're going to meet as you're going down. So the people that you step on, the people that you're not nice to are the same people you're going to someday have to ask for help. And that person's going to have to make a decision. Do I help you or do I not? But you were the meanest person in the world. And, and I'm not saying that that's any of you, but this group of people in this class the group of people in your class at, at university and your other things, this is the group of people you're going to see as you go out into the world of work. You are going to bump into each other. And the way you treat each other in this context, the way you treat each other in class, the way you treat each other on campus, and there's a, a, a few-year overlap where people, oh, yeah, she was, she was a year behind me. She was a year in front of me. I heard about her. I heard about this. That is that goes around, comes around, up the ladder, down the ladder. So you really want to, you want to be thinking, just be yourself and be nice. And, and it, it, it helps out. And for me, so why do I say this? Because I just got a message from someone, uh, a gentleman that I've dealt with. We started up Creative Mornings together. His name's Paul Kelly. We've done all sorts of great things. Paul is this, this crazy Australian guy and him and his wife set up this uh, pretty cool design communication studio called Digilate Media. And they do a ton of work in Saudi Arabia, actually, in, in Arabic. So they have a great Arabic staff, and they do all this work for Saudi Arabia. And, and the reason I bring this goes around, comes around, is because he just got in touch with me and said, hey, James, would you be able to help us out with some public speaking training for a, a group down the road? And, and what am I saying? Absolutely, because I love public speaking. So that becomes very, very useful. And... Uh, so, Watia, yeah, the, the Digilate Media is located in Dubai, but they do a lot of work for Saudi Arabia, and, uh, and, and they do work here, and they do a lot of work in Arabic, a ton of work in Arabic with design and with video and with audio, and yeah, they're just a cool, cool group of people who are doing sort of the cutting-edge stuff, and the best part about Digilate Media, Paul and, and his team, 
is you almost never know they've done the work. So they do a lot of B2B stuff, but they'll create product, create things that then get used by someone else and their name goes on it, not Digilate Media. So it's kind of neat. And they're just a fun group of people. Anyway, what goes around comes around. You want to make sure you're, be honest, be, be real. And if you do good things, and good things come back to you. So Paul and I have been knocking around for years. He had to drop out of Creative Mornings. People say, aren't you mad? I was like, no, he's got stuff to do. But we keep in touch. And, you know, when he needs something, he calls. He says, James, I need your help. Can I put you in on this, this thing? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good for you. Good for me. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. Anyway, we'll see if it happens. Who knows? You never know. Okay. Where did we want to go? It's a lot of talk in here, mostly me. Uh, we want to go to the part two of the materials that I've put up. And I, I put up part two because it's all about organizing your talk. And so we're just a reminder, two parts of your speech, you got two, 50% of your grade is left. So the next two speeches are one half of your grade and that's by design. So look, you know what you got to do. I'm not, I am not trying to stress you out. Although I think if you start looking at the numbers, you could get stressed, but I think of it, I'm, I'm an optimist, right? So if you're, if you're looking at your grade and you're saying, okay, I'm doing a a B plus or I'm doing a B, uh, could you get an A still? Yes, absolutely. 50% of your grade is there, but it's not just an automatic thing. You, you, you got to work. We keep putting more and more things into the pool to think about, right? So that becomes very important. The the other part though, that, and we're gonna come back to this video by Graham Hill because this is a great video and he does some really good stuff that I kind of like and I think you're gonna like. Great example of how to use PowerPoint. But what I wanna, what I wanna throw here, throw out to you, is there are several different ways and if you've looked at the persuasive speaking materials, several different ways to organize a talk. You want to think about how am I doing that? Now, I am particularly fond of Monroe's motivated sequence. Again, it's in the materials. But if you look at it, and there's five steps to it, if you look at it, really what you're looking at with Monroe's motivated sequence is exactly what you're already doing. So first part, am I getting people's attention? Next part, am I providing a description of the problem? Third part, do I have a satisfaction step, you know, outlining my solutions? Fourth part, do I have a visualization step where the audience can see the solutions they need to implement? Fifth part, the conclusion and the action step. So really, if you look at it, motive at, at Monroe's, I've got part one is my introduction, part two, part three, and part four are my three steps in the middle, and part five is my action appeal, my direct appeal for action. It's my conclusion. Boom. It's it's a nice sequence. So again, as you're following it and as you're looking at your speech, you can say, you, you could literally create a check sheet and say, okay, do I have a, a part that's getting the attention of my audience? Think Jamie Oliver. We're killing our kids. Do I have a section that tells me, okay, what's the problem? And what are the consequences? And what, what happens if this goes on unsolved? He, he, what, Jamie Oliver, right? Let's go back to Jamie Oliver. When it goes unsolved, he had that, he had that, that lady, I can't remember her name. He says, she's going to die. You're, you're killing your kids. They're going to die in six years. Boom. Step two. Step three. 
how do we outline this? Learn more about food, right? Step four, visualizing so that people can see how they can fix it. Step five, okay, so what do we need to do? Conclusion, activation. Man, it's, it's, it's what we're doing already. What I've done is, again, I've simply gone into the notes and I've copied the sample outlines that, in this case, that, that are in the text. It's to give us an idea of a proposition. So a proposition is, is the question that you're trying to solve. It's your theme. It's your thing. And, and it's giving the attention step. It's giving what we need to do. It's giving the satisfaction step. It's giving visual. And it's giving that action step. So again, pretty easy way to do it. I like Monroe's visualization just because it reminds me to make sure that in this whole sequence that he's that, that Monroe's talking about, that my my talk follows a nice flow, that it links together. It keeps reminding me that and I keep and I and again I've I've done this with you ladies over and over again. I keep reminding you. I put sticky notes. I I take them and I put them on my computer, I put them on my mirror at home to remind me. Make sure you're speaking with the audience. Make it clear. Keep it. I, I call it the, the, the KISS principle, K-I-S-S. Keep it super simple. KISS can also be used in other ways. I, I like to use it. Keep it super simple. Easy to understand. Easy for people to follow where I'm going. Is the introduction we have to talk about the problem. I mean, Taya, this is a, this is a good thing, right? It depends how you're what how you're structuring your talk. Not necessarily, but remember you're trying to get their attention. So think about how you want to get people engaged, and and it it, it depends. It, the other and, and it depends on how you're putting together your talk, right? So there's the direct method where you're, you might say, okay, here's another way to do it, which is probably really close to what we're doing to convince your audience to adopt a particular idea. Direct method, boom, what's the proposition? So here's an example. The, you know, Again, you're gonna have, what's your proposition? Part one, vegetarianism. So this is your, you're gonna have an introduction, then part one, part two, part three, and then a conclusion. I don't know. And again, Taya, do you want to do you want to give us an example of what how you might do your intro if if we're not if we're I mean, because yours yours is very particular, right, Ty? You're you're talking about deforestation, right? You can turn on your mic. I like hearing your voice in public speaking. <laughs> so, the, I, I do, in the introduction, might you want to be, you know, bringing it right down in your context, saying, yeah, talking about why trees matter or why vegetation matters or why, you know, might you want to come right out really quick, really fast, saying, you know, we, we're we're wrecking our planet and we don't even know it. I, I kind of like the, the, the bathtub scenario and thinking about our planet as a bathtub. So how many of you have baths? Anyone get, anyone get into the bath? Yeah, of course, right? So imagine if you think of the earth as a bathtub and we're all in the bath. So the air, our environment is the bath. And we're putting stuff into the bath. And we're putting, you know, you brush your teeth, you pour it in the bath. You wash your hands, you leave it in the bath. You 
you know, clean your toenails, you leave it in the bath. So what do you, what do we need to clean the bath? Well, maybe as Ty is going to tell us, maybe trees are something that help with that and they help to, to, to clean the, the air and, and stuff. So maybe you want to, I mean, it'll all depend how you're playing with that intro, but maybe, maybe you want to at least introduce what the problem is. Remember that the core thing that we're tr- all, always trying to think about ladies is keep it simple. You don't want people to struggle to figure out what it is you're talking about. As soon as they have to figure it out, I think you're, you, you chance losing them. So give, I mean, you, and, and again, this is where I say being clever. So yes, you want to, you want them to figure it out. How are you going to get them to buy into what your proposition is, what you want them to do, but you don't want to lose them as they're trying to figure out, you know, if you're, if you're being too stylized, like, what is she talking about? Why is this going? So in, in short, probably you want to give people an idea where you're going right off the bat and pique their interest. Like, why do I care? And, and I think Taya, when you, when you sent me and so, so to the class without giving away everything, but Taya sent me an email and she said, Hey, this is what I want to do. And then I wrote back with several questions because I was going, so as an audience member going, how does that even fit? And then you wrote another sentence to me. I went, okay, I get it. I totally get it now. Yeah, totally fits. So maybe what you're trying to do is you're going to have to make sure the audience who's going to, who would be just like me if you start off is going to go, this doesn't apply to me. I live in the desert. How does this work? Although I live, you know, a, a kilometer from the Musharraf National Forest, they're not cutting it down for obvious reasons, right? So hmm. any questions on, on that? Yeah, that's good. Good, good question, Taya. Very good question. So back to this whole, you know, you've got your direct method. Then you've got a causal speech that describes if we do this, it's going to have this effect. And that could be, be very, an interesting way to do something. So you've got Monroe's activation where you, you have a nice flow of a pattern. You've got this very nice direct method, convince your audience to, to adopt a really specific and particular way of action things. And then you can, you can set out a speech that says, Hey, if you do this, it's going to happen like that. So let's do this with the outcome being that. So a causal pattern might actually be what Rauda was Rauda, right? What Rauda wants to do with cyberbullying. That might be a whole, if we stop this, it's going to do that. That might actually work. That could be kind of cool. So again, with a causal pattern, they've, and this becomes very useful, and I would encourage you to go and read these little bits, go back to the text, because there's a lot more information in the text. But what they've done is they've said, Macintosh computers make people more creative. And so the, 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 the causal pattern is have a Mac, be more creative. And what they've got is three different sections. So you've got your introduction, how creativity can be tied to a specific computer. Macintosh computers rely on simple intuitive. Simplicity of them allows people more creative. And there is a third part. Why it's not here, I don't know. <laughs> but go to the text and take a look at that. And then you throw in your computer. Uh, throw, throw, Take a look. Uh, refudiation. Sometimes on occasion will rise when an audience, you're opposed to an argument. So you, you, you're trying to give people, again, a way of looking at something. And again, there's another flow to what we're doing. And, and so there's different ways, different patterns to organize things. For the most part, I really think 
based on what we're doing, Monroe's motivational sequence kind of works. And, you know, we get their attention, steps needed, satisfaction, visualization, action. And all of these things to me, again, if you're doing a speech this way and you always do them following this kind of route, introduction, conclusion, three points in the middle, which are really need, satisfaction, visualization, and then go into the the conclusion. If you're always organizing your speeches like that and that's how you're doing it, then it's one less thing that makes you nervous because you know the flow and you know your flow works. I got the same pattern. I just put in different information. I might even use my same transitions or similar transitions. I know the flow. I know how it works in that four-minute window, right? It's all about comfort, and it's all about being able to put your material together in a, a clean, crisp, coherent way that communicates something. Which leads me to Graham Hill. And so I want to I put on this talk. But before I do that, do we have any... Any questions, any any observations, anything that you want to fire in to be part of this discussion? And, and, and truly, it, it could be anything. It, 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 there's nothing that is dumb. There's nothing stupid. I, I, I'm, I'm the king of questions to in, in scenarios because I just don't get it. It's like, so you mean what? And they'll say, James. Do I have to draw a picture? And when someone says that, usually sarcastic, do I need to draw you a picture? My response is, actually, if you could, that would really help me a lot. And at which point they go, oh. So I, I, anything, anything, anything? No. Okay. Let's put on Graham Hill. Now, there's a couple things I love about Graham Hill. One, watch how he uses his visuals. Two, Speed of his talk. Three, physical prop that actually works. And what's he trying to convince us to do? Think about what's he's trying to convince us to do and how Monroe's uh, pattern fits in nicely. Let's go listen to Graham Hill here. Short speech as well. I want to start all my classes with that. My son works in the music industry. I'm trying to get him to build me uh, my own stinger for the start of my classes. He thinks it's silly, but I'm working on it. What's in the box? Whatever it is, it must be pretty important because I've traveled with it, moved it from apartment to apartment, to apartment. <clears throat> Sound familiar? <laughs> Did you know that... We- any, any words on... Uh, I'm just going to stop right now. He's, he's got a nice pace. He's talking actually slow, right? He probably talks a little bit faster than that in real life. Three words a second, he's slowed down. Second thing, first image. First image. No words. Do you need words? Not really, because remember, remember what the golden rule is. You're the presentation, not the PowerPoint that's behind you. You're the presentation. That is simply filling in the words. And a picture tells a thousand words. You get a whole sense of the stuff we have in an apartment. Let me back it up and let's keep going, though. Sound familiar? (laughs) 
<laughs> did you know that we Americans have about three times the amount of space we did 50 years ago? Three times. Look at, he's talking about three times the amount of space. He's showing a house from 50 years ago, an image from 50 years ago, and it's got a big three times the space, a little bit of repetition, not bad. And then he keeps going. He, he repeats it. We have three times space, three times. And he pauses and he's showing a 50 year ago image. Sweet. Because people think, well, what, did, what was America like 50 years ago? They don't remember it. And so he's showing that house. He's showing that thing. And people are going, ah, yeah, that's not the kind of house we're living in today if you're living in the burbs in America. So you'd think with all this extra space, we'd have plenty of room for all our stuff, right? Nope. There's a new industry in town, a $22 billion. What's the new industry? $22 billion. Nope. I love that part. You think we'd uh, have more space? Nope. He does that. Nope. A nice effect. So he throws up this slide, and he's, he's going to say the price, but he's got that. It's, and it, look at the size of the number. Huge. But what's he talking about? Self-storage. He's talking about self-storage, and he's showing a storage unit, and he's putting the price. Sweet. 2.2 billion square foot industry. That of personal storage. So we've got triple the space, but we become such good shoppers that we need even more space. So where does this lead? Lots of credit card debt, huge environmental footprints, and perhaps not coincidentally, our happiness levels flatline over the same 50 years. Well, I'm here to suggest there's a better way, that less might actually equal more. I bet most of us have experienced at some point that I want to go back to this, this slide because I really like, I want to suggest that less can actually equal more. So his slides are, are, are shadowing and repeating what he's saying, but they're doing it in a very crisp, clear way. He's leaving them up. You're looking at them. They're right behind him. He's not looking at them. Mind you, mind you he's got his display in front. But I, I like the way they work. Simple, clean, big. All of the things, again, that we're aiming for when we put together slides. Well, I'm here to suggest there's a better way, that less might actually equal more. I bet most of us have experienced at some point the joys of less. College, in your dorm, traveling in a hotel room, camping where you got basically nothing, maybe a boat. Whatever it was for you, I bet that among other things, Really important thing here, and of course, this will be slightly different when you're doing your presentations, but again, this is an awkward and abnormal situation where you're doing that Zoom. He's doing his presentation. He's not looking back at the slides behind him. Now, why is he not looking? Because there's a monitor in front of him. And when you're doing a presentation in a class or in a group, I always advocate setting up your computer and angling it so that you can use it as a monitor again so you don't have to look behind you. And like he's doing have a remote so that you can advance things. It, it, you don't want to be that person who's got to keep pushing the button. It, it looks amateur and it is a recipe for disaster. You want to be comfortable with doing it yourself. The speed he's talking is important. He's not talking fast. He's talking, he's pausing, he's enunciating, allowing us to keep caught up. No motion, but he's allowing us to keep caught up. So, you know, maybe it kind of works. This gave you a little more freedom a little more time. Let me back it up a little bit here. Boat. Whatever it was for you, I bet that among other things, this gave you a little more freedom, a little more time. 
My my only complaint as I'm listening to this right off of it is it does sound a little bit like he's lecturing me. And it, it doesn't have that 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 Trice, Laura Trice sound to it. I'd like it to be a little bit more you know, a little bit more like conversational feel, but it's working. I mean, it's, and, and maybe he's really nervous. Like, look at all the people who are staring at him in the front row. I'd be nervous. So I want to suggest that less stuff and less space are going to equal smaller footprint. It's actually a great way to save you some money, and it's going to give you a little more ease in your life. So I started a project called Life Edited at lifeedited.org to further this conversation and to find some great solutions in this area. First up, crowdsourcing my 420-square-foot apartment in Manhattan with partners Mutopo and Javoto.com. I wanted it all. Home office, sit-down dinner for 10, room for guests, and all my kitesurfing gear. With over 300 entries from around the world, I got it, my own little jewel box. By buying a space that was 420 square feet instead of 600, immediately I'm saving 200 grand. Smaller space is going to make for smaller utilities, save some more money there, but also a smaller footprint. And because it's really designed around an edited set of possessions, my favorite stuff, and really designed for me, I'm really excited to be there. So how can you live little? Three main approaches. First of all, you need to edit ruthlessly. We've got to clear the arteries of our lives. I love that little thing that he just did, ladies, where you take, he's talking, and, and so now it's, okay, how, how do you do it? What are the steps for you to engage? And he's got three, three main approaches. And he's, he let it out, three main approaches. First, edit ruthlessly, and he's put that up. And then he's going to go on, he doesn't put up what that means. It's not on the slide. It's just, here's my first point on this green background, which I think corresponds to life edited, same color. Big two words, edit ruthlessly, and then he goes on to describe. You can leave that slide up there, and you're, you're filling in the blanks, so then people remember, oh yeah, edit ruthlessly. First of all, you need to edit ruthlessly. We've got to clear the arteries of our lives. That shirt that I haven't worn in years, it's time for me to let it go. We've got to cut the extraneous out of our lives, and we've got to learn to stem the inflow. We need to think before we buy. Ask ourselves, Is that really going to make me happier? Truly? By all means, we should buy and own some great stuff. But we want stuff that we're going to love for years, not just stuff. Secondly, our new mantra, small is sexy. We want space efficiency. We want things that are designed for how they're used the vast majority of the time, not that rare event. Why have a six-burner stove when you rarely use three? So we want things that nest, we want things that stack, and we want to digitize. I love that. When you say we want things that nest, we want things that stack, what does does nesting mean? The image on the left. Everything kind of fits together. We want things that stack. What do you mean? Oh, chairs. Okay, I get it. So nice slide, nice and clean that's explaining it. And if you take a look on the bottom, if you go to it, he's, he's actually also on his slides, which is, which is a nice feature. He's included on the bottom. What's where, where are these things coming from? And so that, that also works kind of, kind of nice, but you're using the slides in your speech 
to explain where you're, where things are going. So you don't have to do it. You don't have to explain what nesting of things is because you're showing it. Kind of cool. So we want things that nest. We want things that stack. And we want to digitize. You can take paperwork, books, movies, and you can make it disappear. It's magic. Finally, we want multifunctional spaces and housewares. A sinks combined with a toilet. A dining table becomes a bed, same space. A little side table stretches out to seat 10. In the winning life edited scheme in a render here, we combine a moving wall with transformer furniture to get a lot out of the space. Look at the coffee table. It grows in height and width to seat 10. My office folds away, easily hidden. My bed just pops out of the wall, two fingers. Guests move the moving wall, have some fold-down guest beds. And of course, my own movie theater. So I'm not saying that we all need to live in 420 square feet, but consider the benefits of an edited life. Go from 3,000 to 2,000, from 1,500 to 1,000. Most of us, maybe all of us, are here pretty happily for a bunch of days with a couple bags, maybe small space, hotel room. So when you go home and you walk through your front door, take a second and ask yourselves, could I do with a little life editing? Would that give me a little more freedom? Maybe a little more time? What's in the box? It doesn't really matter. I know I don't need it. What's in yours? Maybe, just maybe, less might equal more. So let's make room for the good stuff. Thank you. Interesting, interesting little way of putting together that talk. He talks really slow. I think he's really nervous is what I think. I, I don't know because I, I don't know him, but I, I think there's a lot of nerves there. And, and as I said, knowing the environment, it, it is totally nerve wracking. I like the way he uses the slides. And so what's he, what's he trying to convince us to do when you get home from the event to reconsider things, to take a moment to figure, can I maybe downsize a little bit? Can I edit my things? What can I do that's going to save money, save time and make me more happy? I like the use of the prop. I like these slides. Is there, is there little things? Would I be more enthusiastic? Probably. Does the conclusion kind of work? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think it's he's he's really kind of pushing it. Do the slides work? I love the slides. I think really, yeah. I mean, that to me, when I look at those slides, and hey, don't forget, this guy's a businessman, right? And so when someone says, oh, it's not a professional presentation, that's what he does. Life Edited is the organization that he represents. That is, he's talking about pitching, he's ultimately pitching his business, doesn't get more professional than that it's it's clean it's crisp it's simple it's easy and it forces us to possibly want to think about something and to do it Uh, okay maybe it works i mean there's there's elements to it that definitely do vocal variety yeah okay there's a bit there pause yeah lots of there would i like to be a little bit more friendly Maybe <laughs> I think I think I'd like a little bit more of the Laura Trice feel to it, but it, it kind of works. What, what do you girls think? What are your thoughts as you're watching that? And and so as I'm so basically as I'm 
as I was annotating what I was seeing, it's all I'm doing when I'm watching you ladies and all you want to be doing constantly when you're watching yourself, when you're watching other things saying, Hey, can I, how can I, how can I apply that? What is he doing that? I really like, okay, I want to borrow that style. So it might be, you know what? Those slides. Excellent. You use slides like that. Boom. And what's the number one takeaway from those slides? Number one takeaway from each of those slides. Anyone? There's a few takeaways. But what's the number one? Maybe the two two things you get from the slides. Anyone? Jump on. Yeah. Lots of lot of words. Were there a lot of words on the slides? Taya? No. So I think that remember the slides minimum amount of words that that connect with what you're saying second important thing you notice ty you're on a roll what's the second thing you notice he uses only he uses only point what do you mean ty turn on your mic what do you, what do you, uh, he never looked at the screen behind. Yeah, exactly. What to you? He doesn't look at it, but remember he's got a monitor screen in front and that's what you want to do with your computers. When you're at, in a school situation, you want to use your computer as that monitor. So what do I mean? If I was, so you've got the white, excuse me, you've got the whiteboard behind you and you've got the whole console where you control the whiteboard. I angle my computer so that it faces me. I stand on the other side of the whiteboard. I have my remote and I'm looking at the class and I can see through my peripheral vision the images of the slides on my computer. So I know what's on the screen. So I don't have to look at the screen because I already know what's on the screen and I know how I'm going to use things. But I want to go back to Taya. He only uses, he, he uses only points. Oh, so you mean he's just, he's just using point form things. Yeah. The, the other big reminder, and this is where we go wrong, and I'm, I'm as guilty as you, think of your standard ZU presentation. I know I'm dissing ZU presentations. I don't mean that. I mean, come on. We, there's some great presentations. But for the most part, we could do better. What's one of the core things we see in a standard ZU presentation that uses a standard template from PowerPoint or Keynote, which I do not advocate. Don't use the template. Create your own slides. But what's the big thing that we constantly see from many of our colleagues when they do presentations? Anyone? Anyone? When you think of the presentations that maybe you've even done in the past, what do you, what do you get reminded of? Reminded that his presentation didn't do what you, what you see in many of the presentations we get from our colleagues. So Ty is already, there's not very many words. He talks, he only uses points. Yes. What else? What's the big one? There's a huge thing that many of our ZU presentations do that that presentation didn't do. Did it have an introductory slide that said, hey, this is the introduction of what I'm going to talk about in my talk. Don't do that. If you want to do that, give it to people on a piece of paper. Don't, don't mess up your, your slides and your whole presentation. But what do we see in a lot of slides that, that our colleagues put together and that maybe we put together? Yeah, we, we read them. We, we read a lot of them. You, you want to know it. And, and why do we read a lot of it? We're trying to put too much information into a, uh, into a space. We, you, want it to be, you want it to have that appearance of, hey, I'm putting this together. I know what I'm saying. I get it. It's a show, right? A presentation is just a show. But that's not it. 
what do those visual presentations that we put together, what's a characteristic of them? Think, think, think back, think, you know, okay, so there's lots of words. So they're, they're very small fonts, graphs that are hard to read. Go back to the Gutman, uh, that, that graph where he had the smiles and how you live longer. Three different things, big fonts. What are we seeing in all these great presentations? 24 point plus fonts, same font. Use one font, increase the size, really three sizes, 24 point being the smallest you want to use. Everything else bigger, 24 and bigger. So you can't put a lot of words on them, but that's not it. But think fonts, small, not good. Big, good. Images, good. Pixelated images, not good. If you're going to put numbers and words on your images, make sure they look good. So when we, when we look at this, when we look at what he's done, so let me just go back here. Let me rewind it a bit, see if I can find some of his things. So if you're going to put words on your images, because he does at the very beginning, right? He uses this one here. No, not that one. Not that one. Not that apartment one. Not this. He's, but they're all big. Oh, it's coming up. It's right here. So that, so if you're going to use words on your images, make sure you can see. This one's a little a little odd because he, he does have it nice and big, though. So you can see it with the face. This one here, he does it all as well. Make sure that you can see the numbers with the image. If you can't, then don't use it. If it's and, and do you need to put any words on? Like, does it does this need words? No, you you know what it is. So it's really important that you're thinking about that. But that's not it. What 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 is it that's characteristic of all of his slides? I mean, you know, he's got a little bit of stuff. There's this is this is probably the most words. One, two, three, four. Five, if you count that image as a little more e- six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. If we count all that stuff, eleven images. So that's actually more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah, eleven. That's about where you want to be. Twelve might be the max. So that's that's pretty good. That and and look how large those things are. That's that's a masterclass on on putting together a slide. Again, 420, 600, 420 feet, 600 feet. He's he's got the green, he's got the colors, so you get what he's talking about. You get the difference in size. Not bad, not bad, pretty stylized. Again, he's got his three three titles. And he brings it all together in the end here. There we go. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Epic. Twelve being your being being your golden number of words on a slide. If you're hitting over twelve, you've got too much going on there. Unless it's some really impressive quote that you want to put up. But even those, go back to the Bono one. How many words in the quotes? Go back to Gutman. How many words were in that quote by by uh, Mother Teresa that he didn't read? Right. So you want to be. So I think what we start getting a sense of is okay. What's on the slides? What are they doing? But what is back to the question? What do we see in his slides that are different fundamentally than the typical slides we're getting presentations from ZU and our ZU students? What do we tend to do, you and me, when we put together a slide? 
Okay, we know that we don't do the words. We know that we're, we're trying to only use images. Okay, we know all that. But what, what's the other mistake we're making? Because we make this mistake all the time because we're trying to, to be clever, etc. What's the mistake we make? Guesses? I love guesses. Guesses are good. Think, think. We make it. It's, it's common. It's really common. Open up your computer. Take a look at your power, the last PowerPoint you did for something. Oh, oh, who's talking here? Fatma, go ahead. I think they add like all the information in the slide. You're right. So, so there, there's way too many, too many words and things. I'm going to take, because you're, you're right, we, we tend to put way too much information on a slide. And what, what this guy has just shown us, when you look at his slides, you're, you're absolutely right. What, what he's shown us on these slides is as you're looking at them, so for instance, this one or this one, as you're looking at the slides, what we tend to do is we put multiple ideas, so usually too many words, but we also might break up because PowerPoint will allow us to do this or Keynote or whatever. It'll allow us to put three things on a slide. So we'll have three ideas, maybe four ideas, all on the same slide. You don't want to do that. One slide, one idea. Now, I know you're going to say, well, hold on a second. He's got that slide, though, where he's got all the words. This is the basic points that he's pulled together to, to show something. What he hasn't done, so I, you get what I'm saying. What he hasn't done is take this slide. So hold on, let me get it. What he hasn't done is take this slide and that slide and this slide and maybe that slide and put them all on the same slide, which we've been to enough presentations, both you and I, where someone puts this and then this and then this, and then they'll talk about all three. And then maybe they'll highlight one and then highlight the other, then highlight the other, and they've, they've got them all on one slide. One idea per slide. Follow that rule. Keep the fonts big, 24 point plus. Three sizes in total are very useful. One idea per slide. Keep the colors easy and simple. Keep the font easy and simple. Keep the images easy and simple. One idea per slide. If you follow those golden rules, you win. And I mean, you win the hearts and minds of your audience and your work, because remember your slides work with you. They don't work for you. And too many of us, and you've seen those presentations, they get up, they put on their PowerPoint, and then they stand back, and they're in the dark, and and whatever. And it's like, hold on a second. And I've been in those presentations where I'm kind of going, okay, why don't you just give me the PowerPoint? I'll watch it. And just stand there. Because everything you're going to do is on the PowerPoint. Whereas I want you to present the content for me. I don't want the PowerPoint to present it. You might as well just give me the PowerPoint and say, yeah, sir, I'm going to put on the PowerPoint. You read it. And if you have a question, ask me. And I I get a lot of presentations like that. And I kind of go, why are you insulting me? Like, really? I can read the slides as well as you can. And when a professor gets up and all they do is they put on these things and they just start reading the slides, I just kind of go like, really? Really? 
you don't think your students can't read those slides? They all speak English. I was like, really? Give them the extra content. And so when you're doing a presentation, think like that. Give them that content. Give us that work. Give us those ideas. Uh, any, any other observations for him? So, that's, so when I'm thinking of presentations, the Hill presentation, the, the Ron Goodman presentation, they're really good. So when someone says, what should we be doing as a presentation, whether it's for scientific or information, or, and we're trying to convince people, those two presentations really, for me, become those blueprints and saying, they, they nailed it. So what have they done? Simple, easy to read, stylized, large fonts. The, the slides connect to what's being said. Do the slides work alone? Not really. But based on what I'm saying, the slides connect in. That's a good slide. That is a good slide because the slides are augmenting what you're doing. If those slide presentations didn't work, could you still do the talk? Yes. That is a great presentation. When the slide presentation does work, it makes your talk even better. If it doesn't work, you can do it. You don't need the slides. And too many presentations I've seen from students, and you've, you've been there where, oh, my slide presentation won't work. I can't do my talk. Can I do it later? It's like, no. <laughs> it's like, no. So then you got to have a plan B. And that's the real world. You get up and you're in Emirates Towers and you're going to present something and you can't get your slides to work. What do you got to do? Turn your computer around and show them from the computer. Stand up with a whiteboard and a flip chart and say, well, look, my slides didn't work, but let me tell you how it all comes together and draw the graph. That's that's the world you're going to. And how do you do that? You got to be comfortable with what you're saying. And remember that those slide presentations aren't the talk. You're the talk. Do Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the other important point is you want to practice your presentation with your talk. That's, that's the other side. Practice with what you're doing. Do I have questions? Do I have any questions? Questions, ladies. Questions, questions. Observations, things that are on your mind, concerns, worries, you name it. There's nothing that's bad to say because it's a public speaking class. So even if you just want to say, I have nothing to say, sir. Maybe you want to, I, actually, I've got it. I want to play, maybe I can play this for you. This one's hilarious. Let me see. Uh, catching up with Natalia. Let's see if it'll play. So I did this podcast yesterday with Natalia. She, Natalia workovich i think is how we pronounce her name german lady she's hilarious public speaking lady i believe that my soul was like eh, eh, <laughs> up there hey listen this is not why you're born follow your passion it's like psh, psh, psh. you're losing your mind whatever there is inside you're just crazy just forget it. i'm not listening to you um but eventually the pain was ridiculous i ended up in hospital twice per per month no doctor could figure out oh, let's go back. career growing going and then you sort of said i'm miserable and you, you literally took that sabbatical. You took nine months to just sort of love figure it talks. out. And you came back and really got started doing what you're doing. And it has just been this fantastic, fantastic leap. So, how, so tell me how it all happened. How did it all happen? So I'm a German and I'm a social scientist, as you said. And I lived my whole life 
in the belief that I need to please others. I need to listen to the advice of She's gonna older, do it again. mature people. And my job is to make people around me happy. And that worked out pretty well until the age of 29, as you said. So I left Germany at the age of 23 when I finished my studies. I first worked in Alain for the... Anyway, she goes on and on, but I love that part where she goes, ah, ah, ah. This lady, PhD, she deals all with education. She worked with the Abu Dhabi Education Authority. Now she's a LinkedIn personal branding expert and she helps people create their brands. Kind of cool. Does all on LinkedIn. Kind of neat lady. And, and that's, again, remember what you're doing. You're putting on a show, people. You're, you're, you're trying to convince us. You're trying to bring us in. We've got Monroe stuff, how we're organizing things. Remember who your audience is, etc. Do any, any questions at all, ladies, at this point? Any questions at all? Any, any, any questions at all? Anything you want to fire in? We do have a quiz, by the way. And you've, you've got a whole bunch of time to do it. So no questions, no questions, no questions. Okay. So what we're going to do, who wants to do the quiz? Who wants to do the quiz? Anyone? Give me a thumbs up if you want to do the quiz. Me, Maha saying me, me. Watia, Watia, Ur, Maha. Okay. So here's the deal with the quiz. So what I'm going to do is I am going to put on the quiz and I'm, I'm going to give you the password. So here's the thing though. It's really important with this quiz that you explain based on what we've been doing in the It is I was just reading the messages from Rauda. It's really important that you think about what we've been doing and you apply the ideas of the course. This again is a, is a written one, short answers. So essentially this takes, I, I would say probably about seven minutes a question. So about 14 minutes to do. I'm going to give there again, we've got some folks in the class who are accorded some extra time. I will accord all of you the extra time and, I'll, and I'm, I've set it for about a 30 minute window. So what's going to happen is I'm going to let you turn it on and go in and take a look and start working on that. Then I will exit. I'll kick us all out of this room and I'll restart it. So if there are, so once you've started doing it, I'll kick you all out of the zoom room and then you can go back into the Zoom room. So we'll reset the connection. But when you're done, you can leave unless you've got questions. So I'm going to stick around for the rest of the class, of course. If you've got questions about your speech, if you want to do a bit of your speech, if you want some feedback, if you've got anything, I'm sticking around so you can have that practice time. But I'm, so I'm going to give you the password. So just let me re, re, repeat so that everyone's clear. One, I'm going to give you the password. You need to think, describe, and explain. That's the really important part. When I give you the password and you go in, I'll keep us on for a minute, then I'm going to kick us off, and then I'm going to come back in. So you can you can come on if you've got questions about things, or if you've got questions, once you're done, if you've got questions about your talk, you can do that. I'll be here. So that's that's how we're doing it. And you know, the real the real issue here is public speaking and, and professional presentation. Yes, it's about physically doing, but it's also about understanding the process of how do I get people 
this is the psychology of it, right? How do I get my audience to connect with what I'm doing? You want to apply all these skills that you've got from your MPS course, from your psychology course, from your international relations course, from your comm courses, from your ISC courses. All of this stuff is all about persuading people to adopt your ideas. And and what tools do I have available to do that? So while there are the core things that we're looking at on how to produce your images and why they work like this, et cetera, et cetera, there are also the other things that we're talking about. And, and we're talking about, well, you know, how, how do I organize that? And what's the theory behind it? And understanding that theory allows you to be a better speaker and allows you to help others be better speakers and to sort of say, okay, hold on, this is what's going wrong. And, and I think that becomes an important part of what we do. And that's, and that's, that's why we're, we're at, at Zide University. And that's why we're doing what we do. Okay. You have been listening to Public Speaking in the Summer, Com 230 with me, James Pikeway. You want to find out more, www.jamesed.com. Reach out. And of course, take a look at the notes. They're kind of fun as well. It'll give you the link to all the videos. A lot of fun. Public Speaking in the Summer. Hopefully, it kickstarts your thinking about your presentations. And remember, you only get better at public speaking by doing it. My name is James Pikeway. Day 11, public speaking in the summer.